You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Ehill, the Culture Change Agent. You already know on this show we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And as always, I got a show for y'all today. I'm pumped up. I'm really excited, legitimately excited, because we're bringing somebody on the show that's been here before. She dropped a classic episode. I'm not just saying that for my health. A classic episode before, and now she's coming back to double dip and give and add value. I mean, she emailed me just to say, yo, I'm working on something that's big, and I want to share. And I I listened, I was like, yo, that's huge. And I know everybody, I mean, I get contacts all the time. People, hey, I want to get bigger contracts. I want to work with these brands. I want to do this. I want to do that. So it's crazy how the synergy kind of in line. And when we talk, that's a project she's directly working on right now. Matter of fact, she just jumped off the ship over the last couple of days working with Nike on a major product that hopefully she can kind of share a little, a tease us a little about. Um, so I'm going to read her intro again. And if you heard this episode before, if you heard about it before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the show notes uh, the episode that we went in deep into her story. We're just going to go high level into her story and then jump right into actionable things that you can do if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a relationship builder, but specifically for my small business owners and entrepreneurs, how you can align yourself and work with bigger brands and corporations without having to have a huge following, a huge catalog of work, all right? So she's an entrepreneur, writer, philanthropist, and unshakable optimist dedicated to helping you make things happen. She is motivating to pushing boundaries and her career has been defined by never taking no for an answer, always moving forward, no matter how small the steps and taking a fresh approach to business management. By taking a hands-on, innovative, and modular approach to management and development, she has rapidly grown her visual communications business to a team of 10 across two international offices, and now she has a formula of success she can share to you not only about building your creative teams, not only about building your relationships, not only about being a positive, good-hearted, and enlightened individual, but also, too, how to be a trailblazer in your own regard, man. So without further ado, I would like to introduce again... Kimberly J to the Minority Troublemaker podcast. Welcome to the show. Yay! I can't believe you've had me back. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, I, 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 I got to give myself a round of applause. That was the smoothest intro I've done <laughs> in like 20 episodes. So I got to pick up myself. <laughs> I, I had a lot of words. There's a lot of words in my intro as well. I'm going oh, no, to rewrite I, that so it's a little bit smoother. <laughs> nah, that thing was, nah, that was smooth. You know, man, I had people send me two page bios. I'm like, bro, <laughs> you just started your career. How you going to send me a two page bio, bro? It's crazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I said, man, I am legitimately excited to have you on the show. Um, so for the people that haven't, and we just gonna jump right in, right? So for the people, and like I said, the show is gonna be a tad different today. So my normal listeners, the quotes of the day and all that stuff, we 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 kind of ear it on the side, jump right in. If you want to hear that. I'm a, I forgot the I'll, I'll shoot the episode. I'll, I'll play the episode where the full podcast is. But Miss J, for the audience that did not get a chance to listen to your first episode in this podcast that are new to you, um, can you just give us? And now it's time for you to step in your soapbox before we jump into what you, what you really want to talk about. Can you just give us a high level overview, of your story, who you are, and what you do? Okay, so <laughs> as you'll know from the, the previous podcast, my story is a bit of a strange one. Um, but essentially, <laughs> I started out as a professional dancer and choreographer. I moved into running my own animation business. From my learnings of being a dancer and choreographer and running an animation company, I started to do some business coaching. Um, and now my focus is on business coaching with a, a little sort of sidestep into the dance stuff every so often, because, of course, that's what keeps you young and that's what keeps you fun. <laughs> mm. So let's, oh, I got it. Episode 91, for those that have not listened to our story in full, in full effect, like it's, when I tell you, cliffhangers all around. Matter of, I would say, at, matter of fact, after you listen to this show, go listen to episode 91. Find the solution, all right? The journey from Nike sign dancer to animation company CEO. That was like maybe, man, that was many, many moons ago. Yeah. Episode 91, go check that out. So, Miss J, right now, there's a big project you're working on that you're excited to come and share. And I want you to talk a little bit about the project. And then we're going to break down um, a couple ways that small business owners or um, aspiring small business owners, when they start out, can sign and land contracts with bigger companies and, and play big. Absolutely. Oh, man, I'm so excited for this. So when I was dancing professionally, and we're talking sort of 15 years ago now, um, I signed to Nike as an athlete. And it was an incredible time in my life. And I learned so much from just being involved with that brand not only from an athlete perspective or from a creative or performance perspective, but from a business perspective as well. I got to see the inner workings of their company and not many people get to do that. So I attended things like their sales conferences and their brand meetings and their marketing and communication sessions. So I really got to understand how this brand was put together and essentially what made them tick. And um, one of the things that that allowed me to do was continue my contract with them because I could see how I could add value to them as a big brand. So whereas my initial contract was for, you know, a year, I actually ended up staying signed to them for eight years. Um, so it was, wow. you know, yeah. <laughs> and even in that time, funnily enough, I started out with them signed as a dancer but my sport changed. So I actually went on to run as well. I did. I used to do um, long distance running. So for a little while, they also involved me in their running campaign and then their fitness campaign. So it's, I, I managed to bounce around a bit, but I stayed connected with the brand and I stayed contracted to the brand. Um, so now, you know, when I first signed to them, that was sort of like back 2005. Now, here we are now, 2019. Um, I'm still working with the brand. I'm no longer signed as an athlete, but I work with them on a contractual basis as a consultant 
for lots of different things that they do, you know, across all sorts of categories and all different sports. I absolutely adore working with them. So moving into creating my own business and then becoming a business coach, a lot of people would ask me, you know, beyond before we even got to, hey, how do you start a business? What do you need to, you know, to, to be a startup? How do I find funding? What, da, 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 what is this? What's the mission statement? What's the vision? La, 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 la. The first question I always got was, how did you sign to Nike? Like, how does mm-hmm. that happen? <laughs> so I tell them my story. And I realized that within my story, you know, and all of the things that I'd learned, I'd applied, you know, a lot of my learnings to my animation company. Because within the animation company, I managed to land quite a few big brands working there, too, with them. Um, I keep doing that in past tense, but my animation company actually still does exist. (laughs) (laughs) It is actually still running. It's still there for all my clients out there who think I've dropped off the face of the earth. I haven't. Um, (laughs) You know, we're still running. We're still fully, you know. full speed ahead. But I'm like I said, I'm really excited about this project. Anyway, I realized that there was, you know, in answering people and telling them about how I got in with Nike and stayed with Nike, and then how I used, you know, similar um, strategies to get in with other big companies for my animation company and stay with them as well as recurring clients. You know, I I, I realized that there's there's a system to it. It's like a process. And mm-hmm. it wasn't because I was anyone special or I had anything or did anything that was, you know, out of this world. It's because I followed a very simple process. And off of the back of that, I realized, hang on a minute, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Absolutely anyone can do it. And there are so many, you know, small businesses and entrepreneurs and freelancers who I know want to create those links, want to create those relationships with big brands. But they're they're not doing it. And a lot of the reasons that have come to light, it's been about, you know, firstly, it's fear. You know, you you see Mm -hmm. yourself as such a small entity against that giant corporate machine. Um, And you, you sort of assume that they wouldn't want to hear from you. They wouldn't want to work with you. When in actual fact, those giant corporate machines exist and do so well because of the small businesses, the freelancers and the entrepreneurs that are working on the inside to support them. So it's so important that if, you know, small businesses want to get involved and want to get connected with big brands, that they do so. And so I created this program called Land the Brand to help small businesses, entrepreneurs and freelancers do just that, to help them to build those relationships with big brands so that they could approach them for partnerships, for sponsorships and for sales opportunities. Because there's this huge gap where, you know, the big brands don't know how to find these smaller organizations, a, a, a reputable smaller sort of organization. And the smaller organizations and the smaller businesses just don't want to step into the limelight and say, hey, I'm here, I'm ready, let's go. So the aim of Land the Brand is to make these small businesses much more confident, make these entrepreneurs and freelancers, you know, much more forward thinking in the sense that they can step to these big brands and they can land them. They can create, you know, agreements, contracts, they can partnerships, you know, and this is across the board. So it doesn't matter what your business does. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, what field you're in, where your expertise lies. There's a brand for you out there that you could connect with. And of course, by mm. connecting with a large brand, you then have the opportunity to generate revenue. And in such a way that often it's recurring and often it's, it's you know, it, it, it's like 
my client base for the animation company, they're repeat clients. The, you know, 65% of my revenue comes from repeat business. So it's important because it fuels that business. It keeps it running. It makes sure that, you know, you've always got something coming in every month. So I think it's important for small businesses and entrepreneurs to get together with larger companies who have those budgets to be able to, to fund and fuel your business. And of course, you have that specialist expertise that they can't access and they can't tap into anywhere else. It's a partnership made in heaven. So now my job is to do is to help with the matchmaking. So I'm going to start putting these small brands with these these large brands and making sure that they understand the process with which to do that. Mm, there it is man, in a nutshell. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'm excited to kind of jump right in. And um, for my listeners out there, specifically ones that are even not entrepreneurs, stay with us because the, the concepts and a couple of things we're going to talk about in a high level can help you in any aspect of your life as far as because every, every one of us has fear, has fear of things that uh, we would like to do. But due to lack of confidence, due to lack of resources, due to a lack of a, a, a lot of different things, we stay on the sidelines. So the couple of things we're going to talk about don't just. Think of them from a practical perspective, but thinking from a perspective of where you're at right now, right? Um, also, too, I want to say, um, <clears throat> to jump right in, there's a couple of things that stood out from the intro. And I want to, like I said, don't don't give us all the beans. Don't spill all the beans <laughs> on Landon Brand. But kind of just from a high level, and there's five things that I want to kind of have the auspice of this podcast cover. Um, and feel feel free, though. I have these five things, but we can, this is, you're the expert at this. So it was like one thing, um, want to, do you want to add one thing? Take, we'll work it. We'll work what, what, what you got. Awesome. So the five things I wanted to talk about first, uh, would be fear. So I want to kind of discuss just, and, and the way I want to layer it is one, um, I want to take you through your, can you, can, I want to take from your head first through when you were actually in the, when you, when you first feared like that contract with Nike and other things. So I want them to take him inside your mind. And then now fast forward to what you know now, how you would attack things. Like I said, on a high level. Um, then I want to talk about introductions. So what does that look like as far as introductions with um, these kind of corporations? Cause a lot of people say, okay, I don't fear, but I don't know how to get into it. Should I cold call? Should I do this? So maybe just some thought process to go behind that. Um, then talk about a little bit about pricing. I know we don't mean it's, it's very situational, but more so um, just that. And that kind of goes along with fear, but that, that pricing bit, we're just going to touch a little bit on that. And then the last two, delivering, because at the end of the day, once you sign the contract, you got to deliver. Um, and what are some key things that you learn on how to like frame expectations, et cetera, so that you don't overpromise? Because a lot of times, and I can speak for myself, you work with a bigger company and they maybe give you more money than you ever had. Your your emphasis is to say, okay, I can do all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, you know, you you can't deliver on it. And then the last thing I want to talk about, which I've seen, as you said with your quote, sixty five percent of your business is returning clients, is retention. What are the the main focuses on how to retain, retain, retain? Because um, there's a lot of misnomer out there that put out these ads, get new business, new clients, new clients, new clients, new clients. But actually I read your book, um, how to go, I think how to go swimming with sharks and not get eaten. I think you recommended, I, I think I've, I found that book off a recommendation about, um, the, the your sales book about riding a bike. And then that mm -hmm. led me to that book. Mm -hmm. So I learned some stuff on that, man. But let's first talk about on a high level fear, fear. So let's take us inside your brain and then know what you know now, how to attack it for our small business owners. And like I said, this is just a snippet of what you can expect from the land of brand course. Okay. So fear, right? So this is a, this is huge. This is such 
a big issue and it stops us from doing so much. It stops us from just achieving potential left, right and center. And I'm not going to lie. I still feel fear. <laughs> of course, I still feel oh. fear. I'm human. <laughs> it is, you know, it, it's, a, it's a natural state of mind. You know, it comes from, you know, thousands and thousands in year, of years of, of, of just, you know, evolution and the way we are built. We are built to fear what we do not know and we do not understand. So when I first signed to Nike, yes, I was terrified because I didn't know them and I had no idea what to expect from such a big organization. Now, you have to remember, I came from a dance background, a very creative dance background, too. So I was literally a street and hip hop dancer. You know, I would dance on street corners. I would, you know, <laughs> we'd use things like bus shelters and window glasses in uh, glass in the window panes of shops and stores to rehearse in because we didn't have access to mirrored space, all that kind of stuff. Small community grassroots. And then all of a sudden I'm thrown into this gigantic corporation. So I did not, my head was spinning, absolutely spinning. Mm -hmm. And I realized that at the time, all I could do was take it one step at a time. And another thing that, that, at that time that was quite interesting was I had no idea or I couldn't see any longevity in my connection with Nike. Like I, mm. I, in the beginning, I didn't really understand why they signed me. <laughs> if I'm honest, mm -hmm. <laughs> in the beginning, it was like, well, I got really lucky here, I think. So I am just going to roll with it and see what happens. Um, so as you know, time progresses and you start to get to know the business and you start to get to know people and you start to get to, to know the operations, of course, the fear reduces. But no matter what, initially, you're going to feel that fear because you don't quite know what, you know, that, that business and that organization is about yet. Nowadays, what I do to be able to overcome that fear is to learn as much as I can about that business or organization before I even connect with them. I do my homework as much as I possibly can, as much research as I possibly can. And the cool thing about, you know, big businesses is, and within the Lander Brand course, I, you know, I've done a section on this and it's called Insider Information. Um, they give you that information that you need, the knowledge that you need. It's available for you 24-7. It's online and it's free. You just have to know where to look for it. So if you can understand who they are and why they do what they do, you're already, you've already won half the battle. So it's important not to only just get, you know, the products that they make or, you know, the brand that you can see immediately. It's about understanding their brand architecture. So knowing, yes, this is the brand. Is this a master brand or are there sub brands? You know, and so understanding if those sub brands then how they're connected, because of course you can go to, a brand like Virgin, and you recognize Virgin immediately because Virgin stamps their name on everything that they do. Mm -hmm. So we call that a master brand. So we know that Virgin is Virgin. So you know that when you're, you're approaching a company like Virgin, you can look up, I don't know, something in, let's say, Virgin Airlines and know that generally their, their branding, their purpose, their reasons, their whys, they all kind of filter through. So then when you shift across to Virgin Galactic or any of their other uh, ventures, 
everything feels contained, everything feels consistent. And then it's about whether or not if you're understanding, you know, if there are um, what we call hybrid brands. So hybrid brands, actually, before I even get to hybrid brands, let's talk about a house of brands because a house of brands is cool. So if you think about Procter & Gamble, mm-hmm. a lot of people have no idea who that company are. But immediately you will know their house of brands. You will know Tide. You will know Bounce. You will know CoverGirl. You will know Pampers. You will know Pantene. These are all brands within Procter & Gamble. So if you approach Tide because you like to work with that particular brand, it's great to know, actually, the rest of the brand family because, again, this gives you insider knowledge that can boost your confidence because you can talk confidently about their brand architecture. And then, as I just mentioned, this idea of hybrid brands, this is like a cross between having a master brand, so a clear brand throughout, and then having a house of brands where the brands aren't necessarily recognizable or related to one another. So a hybrid brand, a great um, example of this would be the Walt Disney Company, because mm-hmm. they have things that are, spe- they have brands that are specifically linked to Walt Disney, but then they also have Marvel. They also own ESPN. They also have you know, Pixar. We know that these are connected with Disney somewhere, but it doesn't immediately strike you as a Disney company. So it's about knowing just things like this means that when you step through those big glass doors into that big brand's headquarters, into their office, just having that idea can alleviate fear tremendously because you can start to feel more comfortable because you understand who they are. You understand what they do. You understand why they do it. And you understand how you fit into that picture. Mm. Once you have that behind you, it is so much easier to create that connection, to create, to have that alignment. And then you'll find that actually the fear is just significantly reduced. You know, again, I'm not saying you're going to walk in there fearless. That's not going to happen, but it's about taking control and the more that you can control the less fear you're going to have Mm, yeah 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 and um you said you said everything i don't want to add anything the only thing i want to say is a question so now how long is your research process now to say if you were looking for a collaboration or sponsorship with a company or et cetera, do you outsource that to someone like now you have a system where you outsource that and you don't really touch that or now it may take just a couple hours or and I, I, you don't don't speak to what you do because it, it seems like once you get the system, there's a couple of key things you go to, a couple of th- key things that you need to know just as an intro point. But how long to say if you had a call? Um, or if you wanted to say you're a creative company and you wanted to outsource something to Adidas because Adidas has put a lot of money into creatives, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. and you wanted to go to to that. And Adidas, Adidas might not be the best thing because you already work with Nike, but just say another company, <laughs> right? How long does the process take for you? Because I want to get, I know there's, yeah, I just want to uh, ask that question. Um, the, process is a, the process is a long one. It's not something that you do overnight. And actually, mm-hmm you have to potentially find your own sweet spot in terms of cutoff point, the point where you stop learning about them and you start taking action and you start approaching them and you start creating those connections. Because technically you could learn about these companies for years. 
There's so much about them that you could, you know, you could boost your knowledge forever. We don't want to do that. We need to take action. We need to approach them. But when we do approach them, we need as much of that knowledge as we possibly can. So there are a number of, of, of categories that I'll research beforehand. So, of course, I'll, I'll try and understand their brand. I'll try and understand their story. I'll understand the people that work there and the, 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 or the, the people that run the organization, the C-level executives, um, sometimes a little bit into their history as well, how long they've been there and why they're there and where they came from. Um, I'll also start looking at their, um, their communications from a press perspective. Um, and also a social media perspective as well. So, you know, what are they talking about right now? What's important to that business? Because if it's important to them, the odds are they've put out a press release because they want to be able to tell the world. So I'll look up press releases for them. Um, and then social media, again, a great, great tool for looking at what the business is doing, because even though it's consumer facing, it's less about the operations and much more about the consumer. It'll give you a really good idea of what's important to them now, where they've come from and potentially where they're going in the future as well. So that process, mm. it can take a little while just to get all that information together, pull it together. And again, with that information, figure out where you sit within that. Because it's all mm. good having this knowledge and all this information and knowing everything about this organization. But actually, if your product, your service, your offering, your program, whatever it is that you're approaching them with or you're trying to talk to them about doesn't sit well within what it is that they're trying to do within their purpose, well, the, the match isn't going to happen. You know, so it doesn't matter how much you know about them. If what you do doesn't align with them, then it's no good. You can sit in a meeting mm. and, you know, that it won't go anywhere. So you've got to make sure that actually they are the right brand for you to work with. Because I, one of the things I get quite a bit or I've had quite a bit is people saying, hey, I want to work with Apple. I want to work with Nike. I want to work with all <laughs> these brands. You know, of course you do because they're popular because they make cool things. But ultimately, do they fit with what it is that you do? You know, do you? Do the two of you actually have any alignment whatsoever? Because if you don't, they're the wrong brand for you. And just to be just working with them just to try and be cool, just, just to have that kind of association for the sake of trying to you know, score points, that's a complete dead end. It doesn't work that way. It never works that way. It's completely inauthentic and it just, you know, it will fall apart before it even begins. So it's pointless. It's pointless trying to yeah. be honest. Mm. You've got to find the brand and you've got to be talking to the brands that really connect with what it is that you do and why you do it. Mm. So basically, as we as we move forward, learning with the purpose. So learn not just learning for the sake of learning, but learning going in exactly mirrored what my company offer, what we can offer specifically towards how can we add value to, to exactly. the, what they're doing? Not just to say, okay, they do this. No, it's not a partnership where they helping you out. No, they don't need you for that. Exactly. Like, no, they're not. They're, no, it's, it's how you specifically, you see weaknesses, you see, you see gaps and you go, but the biggest thing, and we're not going to talk about this right now, but that's probably companies that you probably see a lot of times is it's hard to learn the gaps when you don't know specifically the value or what your company does. Cause exactly. just cause you dance doesn't mean that you should go for dance. It's like, maybe you like, and you, can you speak in that real briefly? Cause you may have seen come into this where, oh, like there is a match somewhat, but they're not really clear on what they, the person that's trying to get the sponsorship, the partnership, et cetera. They're not really clear on what type of business that they're in. Have you seen exactly. that before a lot? Oh uh, yeah. A number of times, even, you know, that, that comes up even with businesses who are trying to find 
their markets who are trying to talk to their customers and their consumers, if they don't know what they do, they have no idea about how to talk to their customers. And I see this a lot in businesses that aren't doing so well. And if I talk to them and they say, to, and I say to them, you know, show, tell me about you, tell me about your business. What do you do? You know, who is it for? A lot of the time it's, it's a really rambly <laughs> sequence of, of, of not very much. And I think to myself, if you're not clear about what it is that you do and why, then you're not going to attract the people that need what it is that you do. So you've got to be super sharp, super clear, super focused about what it is that you do. And that's exactly the same for when you're approaching brands. Brands are exceptionally, exceptionally busy places, busy people, busy places, and they don't have time to think beyond what their job description is much of the time. So when you're asking them to be creative, if you step forward and you say, hey, I have this business and it kind of does this, but we could do that. And of course, I've got this and maybe and I used <laughs> to do this as well. You're asking them to come up with a solution. You're asking them to think about, hey, how might we fit you in here? What, what is it that you All right, let me. No, they haven't got time for that. They can't do it and they won't do it either. They'll just point blank ignore you. You need to go in razor sharp like a bullet and say very specifically, I know that your brand does this for this reason, for this audience. And we do this and this is how we complement what you do. That's mm. it. You have to be so clear, so concise, because the moment you, you go in there with this plethora of services and things you could do and things you're good at and you're telling them about, you know, the trophies you won football when you were a kid. It's like <laughs> none of this matters. What matters right now is what do you do and how does that help us? That's mm. all I need to hear from you. Yeah. So if you can't answer that question, it's possible that you're not ready yet to be approaching those big brands. You've got to do some groundwork on your own business just to make sure you're very, very clear about what it is that you can offer. Mm, love that. So I think you talked on it a little bit specifically. You were getting there. So let's talk about introductions. And I know there's a variety. We don't have the time and the, or, the, or the, the bandwidth to talk about the variety of introductions that you have. <laughs> um, but if you could just kind of from a high from a high level, and I know I've been saying that audience for people to be clocking how many times I say a certain word, I'm going to say it again from yeah. a high level um, <laughs> introduction. I mean, what's the what's the foundational aspects of um, introduction to a, a company? So. To make an introduction, uh, to get an introduction into a company, you've, again, you've got to be specific about what you do so you know who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. So it's not about generically sort of saying, hey, I'm to whom it may concern or <laughs> dear sir or madam. You know, it's not that. It is let's find the person that directs the department for what it is that we're concerned with so we can approach them. And that's a big part of being able to create those introductions. You have to get to know who works there. And again, a lot of people say, well, how are you going to do that? If you don't, you know, if you're not in there, how on earth would you find out their names? Google is an incredible thing. If you know what you're searching for, you can find just about anything. Between Google and LinkedIn, you can usually find the name of the person that you need to approach. Mm -hmm. And once you have that name, your goal is to get into a meeting space with them, to get them face to face. Now, that is an exceptionally difficult thing to do. But in order to be able to communicate what it is that you have powerfully, it's best done when you're in the same room as that person. The next best thing is over the telephone. So if you can get them on the telephone, 
then you may be able to, again, engage them and let them know what it is so that you can book in a meeting and be able to, to get to them. And then third on that list, of course, is email. Now, email is a difficult thing mm-hmm. because email is very, very easy to just brush away and ignore. So ideally, you don't want to email. You want to be able to get straight into direct contact with that person. But again, that person is busy, so it's not always going to be possible. So once you have a name, you need a contact number. You need an email address. If you can't find that directly online or via the website, then you can call up the company switchboard and you can ask them. I'm looking, you know, please put me through to such and such, Dave Smith or whatever. They will either put you through or they won't. Um, If they do put you through, then be ready to have that conversation to move it on to the next level and be very, very clear about what it is that you are going to say. Because again, at that point, rambling away isn't going to help you. Your goal at that point, the moment you get them on the phone, is to get them into a meeting. So all you do is just give them the information that they need and intrigue them enough to get them into a meeting. If the gatekeeper, so the person on the switchboard or the receptionist, won't necessarily put you through, sometimes they'll give you an email address. Sometimes they'll question you themselves. They'll say, what is this about? Why are you calling? At that point, it's really important that you don't give away everything that you're doing to the gatekeeper because actually they don't have any power. They don't have the ability to make any decisions in terms of whether or not you can work with that brand. All of that information needs to go to the decision maker, but you do need to get past the gatekeeper. And in order to do that, It's about putting together a very, very simple, you know, piece that just says, you know, look, we supply this and I'm, you know, I'm hoping to have this conversation with Dave Smith about being able to do that for your business. Can you put me through, please? Now, this, you know, this is a process. This isn't something that happens immediately. You may find yourself having to call a number of times. You may find yourself, you know, having to just keep, you know, continually trying And you're going to end up doing things like leaving voice messages and and all that sort of stuff, which is perfectly fine because in order to be able to connect with people at such a high level, you need to keep tapping away. It's not a one-time thing. If you end up in just an email, and that's, you know, as far as you've got so far in terms of the, the, the path to contact, it's really, really important that that email is really short and concise. Um, and that it's ideally sent from your business domain. So not from a Gmail address, not from an AOL, not from a Hotmail. You know, ideally you want it at yourbusinessname.com. That's something that's going to make you stand out. And that's a, a relatively cheap thing to set up. You don't even need a website to be able to send email from your own domain name. You also want to make it so that Within the email, it's, you know, it's kept short, it's kept concise, ideally less than 100 words. um, And you've got contact details, your contact details in the signature so that they can see that they can get back in touch with you. Within those 100 words, you involve or you include a piece of the information that you researched during your whole alignment process, during that whole process before you even approach the brand to essentially entice them to talking to you further. So. If you know, say, Adidas are talking to, um, are doing a campaign about young people in hip hop, and you happen to, your audience is all about young people in hip hop. You run a record label, or you, you know, you have a creative company that specifically works with that uh, that market. 
then that's what you include in the email. You just say, hey, I know that you're trying to do this and I am doing this. Let's talk. It's as simple as that. It's so most people will then continue to ramble on about their history and what they've done and where they've done it. And it doesn't matter. All Mm -hmm. it is, is you can find their problem and you say, this is how I can solve it. Let's talk about it. That is it. Mm. And then sign off with call me tomorrow or call me later on or email me back if you want to do this. Those are the emails that get the attention paid to them. So it's not the big biographies. It's not the big, you know, CVs or anything like that. It is this. Here's where I solve your problem. Call me. And that's all it needs to be. That's Mm. it. And I guess one thing that I I, I took from that, because it's, it's easy to. Um, in these emails, try to go over history of your accomplishments, and yeah. hey, here's here, and then here I I attached this ten page PDF of our of our uh, <laughs> services and what we have done in the past, which is like I said. But I guess for the an intro, and that's what we're talking about right now. We're not going into yeah. further conversations. That's for laying the brain. You'll get y'all, yeah. we, we're going to talk about that in. But <laughs> from the intro, it's more so. Here's what I can do. I here's the gap. Here's what mm-hmm. I can do. Hit me later. It's not okay. I've had ten years of it. I mean, no, no, no. It's not there yet. Because I mean, there's a billion companies that can say all this other stuff. But once you get to the uh, and, and trust me, once you send stuff, and if you get to the next level, those questions will be asked to a certain extent. Oh However, yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. But yes. Yeah, so I, I think that was uh that was tactical. That was precise. Um. One thing I do want to ask before we go into a little bit about pricing is, um. Well, can, can you share with us a story? Because I know that you've had stories where you sent emails, you had it back and forth, and then there's silence. And then sometimes <laughs> when there's silence, you, you, I mean, you're humans. You think, man, they forgot about us, or man, I guess it ain't meant to be, et cetera. Can you share us a story if you have one where the communication, it took way longer than you expected, but you ended up closing a deal? Yeah, I mean, oh, goodness, I've got quite a few stories with that. Um, so, oh my goodness, yeah, there's loads. The the key thing with that Mm -hmm. is when you start a conversation and it seems really positive and you, you know, you're talking to the decision maker and everything seems to be going in the right way. And then all of a sudden they fall off a cliff edge and you don't hear from them again. And as far as you were concerned, you were due to sign something within a few days and it just isn't there anymore. Um, You've got to understand that big brands work in, you know, they, they work in crazy ways. So you'd assume that actually they had this like whole nice methodical process way of doing things um, that, you know, decisions were made, you know, carefully and that the people involved in them would all be, you know, considered. And it's, it's, it's not that at all. Big brands are chaos. <laughs> Behind that, you know, that glass exterior, there's just chaos happening. It's absolute, you know, crazy there. So you almost have to realize that just because they've fallen out of contact with you, it's not because they don't want to do the deal, but it's because that their attention has just been shifted. So what you just need to do is make sure that you stay at the top of their mind, which can be difficult for you as a small business if you're relying on signing a specific contract for a, a piece of business. That's hard. And again, that's something I can go into later because, you know, in terms of planning um, cash flow and that sort of thing, it can be really difficult if you're expecting, hey, we're going to sign this deal, we're going to get this revenue, and actually it doesn't materialize. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. This is how big brands work. So sometimes, you know, people get sidetracked. And one of the big, I mean, there's a company that I did do this for. 
And um, they're a huge company. Um, actually, it was the big, the first company I landed the brand with, with my animation company. And they're humongous, absolutely crazy huge. So we did the deal. Um, and I signed the agreement on my side, but never got a signed agreement from their side. And then just sort mm. of never heard anything from them again. Like this went from email, I was emailing each other and being in contact at least once or twice a day to all of a sudden crickets. There was nothing. And it wasn't until me sort of calling them up. And again, I was ringing the number that I had, but no one was answering the phone. And that's what, and I was like, this is crazy. It's like they've just disappeared. When I rang up the switchboard and I asked to speak to them, that the woman on the switchboard explained that that person doesn't work here anymore. Mm, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I think he'd been let go rather swiftly. And I have no idea why. And I have no idea what happened. But all it took was for me to say to her, okay, can you let me know who is you know, replacing him or if his role is being handed over? And she was happy to do that. Now, I could very easily have thought, hey, they just I, they don't care about me or they're, they're not interested anymore. So I'm going to leave it, you know, but it wasn't that at all. It was that this guy had just been fired, <laughs> basically, and they were sorting themselves out with a new person in that role. Now, when I got in touch with that new person, they were honest with me and they said, look, right, I'm, I'm just starting here. But let's mm -hmm. resume this in a couple of weeks when I've got my head around everything that's happening. And we were able to do that. And again, we were able to do the deal. Wow. So it wasn't that, again, like it wasn't that they just weren't interested anymore. If they weren't interested, the cool thing about big brands is generally they'll tell you. They'll say, hey, we're not interested. Mm. <laughs> they don't care about your feelings. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they'll, just, they'll just say, look, no. you know, Or they won't engage with you at all in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So if you've got their engagement and you're having that conversation, they'll say to you, yes, we want this or no, we don't. And part of that responsibility lies with you as well. You can help them to go down that route. You can guide them and say, ask them questions. Would you like to or would you not? <laughs> you know, allow them to say yes or no. Because ultimately, if it is a no, you want that no as quickly as possible. You don't want to be hanging around waiting for them to eventually tell you this is not going to happen. It's much easier for you if they say no in the beginning. So you can move on and find a different brand. Mm -hmm. You want that decision as quickly as possible. But if for some reason it goes quiet, don't assume that it is a no. Go back to them until you get that no. Give them the opportunity to give you that no. Mm, and remember, it's not always about you. Like you said, sometimes people get, people get fired, stuff happens, <laughs> budget cuts. Like it's not nobody sitting yeah. here saying, oh, man, Kimberly, Kimberly emails to give me this. Uh, I don't know what to do. No, no, no. Stuff is going on. Like you said, it's chaos. A lot of these companies, man, it's, it's something is it's not always you seen just because they're a trillion dollar company or a billion dollar company does not mean that they're waiting. To, I, I mean, it's, let's be real. If you're a, a multi-billion dollar company. A fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollar contract is not the first thing when they wake up on their mind. It's going, it's not going to change the change at all. It's not that that money exactly. don't move it. Like they got million dollar, multi billion dollar merges that could be happening or a big boy contract. So it's just a patience thing and not just. And then also too, I'm glad you stayed true once because I definitely early in my career would have definitely once once I saw they my man got fired. I would have been hurt. I would have been like, all right, man, next company, <laughs> but you stay in the pocket. You got it done, man. So um, I do want to touch real briefly pricing more so in the aspect of, all right, you're in this convo. Uh, specifically, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast have never 
uh, I can say probably have never really signed a bigger contract with um, establishments like governments or uh, big companies, agency, et cetera. So now mm-hmm. you're in the door. They're talking to you. They said, yep, I'm ready. We're ready to go. But you have no idea about this price. You're Googling stuff. You're trying to piecemeal stuff together. If you had to share just your best best practices, that person out there to say, hey, we're, once we get to the door, I don't know what to do as far as pricing. They like what we do. Where do we start? What, do you, what would you tell them? Oh, man. Pricing is such a difficult one. I think in that scenario, um, I'd ask them to look towards their competitors. Um, but even that is not a strategy. <laughs> yeah. so, so even that's, you know, that, that's pretty bad. I mean, I think ultimately what you need to do, what you need to be able to do is your business needs to make a profit. So you need to know whatever you're, you're charging them. And this is really important because often people will lower their pricing thinking that that's what it takes to be able to land the brand. And they end up undercutting themselves and they end up going out of business because they haven't made enough money. They've got these huge names behind them, but no one's paying them enough money. So it's really important to get the money aspect right. That being said, money is, you know... it. <sighs> It's not actually the be all and end all in terms of the decision that the brand is going to make. Yes, they do have budgets. Their budgets tend to be pretty extensive, though. So, you know, often if they can see value in what it is that you provide, they're going to pay for it. If you can do something that they can't do very easily, they're going to pay for it. And essentially, you can put a price on that and sit that wherever you want, wherever you want to, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a difficult thing because, you know, if 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 you have a certain if you have expertise, and they know that it's going to be either difficult or time consuming to be able to access that kind of expertise, then they're going to just pay someone else to do it. You know, and consultants and contractors for big brands, they earn anything from you know a thousand to. 25,000 a day you know it's, it's some some people charge crazy money because they know that what they do is something the big brand can't do and that the big brand need it they've done enough research and know the big brand need it so they can just add the premium on top of what it is that they want to charge so i think the most important thing here is actually you know make sure that whatever you charge it's enough for your business to turn a profit and that number in the end is almost irrelevant so long as you provide the value behind it. Mm-hmm. But just yeah. don't go out of business trying to impress a brand by being the cheapest. Mm-hmm. Because also, the fact that you're cheap can go against you as well. If you're low-priced, then a brand won't even go near you. Mm-hmm. It's like even with you know the animation company. When I first started out, my videos were costing next to nothing to produce. You know, I didn't have any overheads. It was me doing it personally. Um, so I was charging very little for them. But the equivalent animation studio who was working with the big brands, who was doing work for television, they were charging, you know, 100 to, you know, 500 times more than I was to those big wow. brands, even though ultimately our quality was the same. Mm. And it was because they positioned themselves at that price point that big brands looked at them and said, hey, they must be better. They must be higher quality they must be the ones that we work with because they're going to be more reliable and they're going to give us what we need. Whether or not they do is completely irrelevant. And usually they don't. But often when we see something that's at a higher price, a premium price, 
we as human beings, that's what we look towards. We think, ah, we aspire to that. We aspire to luxury. So therefore we want the, the, the we're going to pay, you know, for the higher price good or service because that's what we aspire to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's rare that if you've got the money or you have access to funds and, and they're available, that you'll immediately say, hey, I'm just going to get the cheapest one. Often, if it's something that you care about, you'll say, I'm going to look at this carefully. There's a mid-range one. There's a high-priced one. There's a luxury one. I'd like to get the luxury one. Often, I can only afford the mid-priced one or even the lower-priced one. But if I had unlimited budget, yo, I would do this one. You Mm. know, And, And big brands are humans. They think in exactly the same way. They want to pay for quality. They want to do that because they want the best possible thing that they can get for their brand. So therefore, positioning yourself at a higher price often it, it gives the, the perception of quality. So it's, mm, there's a yep. lot to balance when it comes to pricing. There's, there's, kind of, there's, a, there's a lot of ins and outs. And again, within Land the Brand, I'm going to go through some different pricing strategies that you can use because depending on what it is that you offer, you might find one is, is better than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just whatever you do, don't go out of business trying to impress a yeah. brand. <laughs> and I, I gotta give kudos to that as well for for anybody listening. One thing I want to ask to that is because uh, I made this mistake time and time again when I first started was being crystal clear about what your expenses are. Specifically, like you said, if you're mm-hmm. a one man one man army, one woman army, do not just think that your time is your only expense. You got to think about the the like. There's so many more things to think about when you think about yeah. expenses. And a lot of people that specifically solopreneurs or people that maybe just one or two people, they just say, "Oh, well, shoot. I mean, I, I, a video. Well, shoot. I got the software and I got everything else. So it just took me three hours to make it. So shoot, three hundred dollars. That that might be it. What's yeah. like? Hold up. You're not taking into account the amount of money you pay for that software, the time it takes when you're talking to somebody else, when you're asking, talking to a friend about this idea. The time it's like it's so many other things as far as expenses that you're not taking into consideration. So then you take on this deal with lowballing, and in the end of the month, you're like, hold up. Why am I losing money? Because you just take your time for granted, you take your computer for granted, you take the power for granted, you take the roof that you're under doing it for granted, you take the gas yeah. that you go to, <laughs> you go to that Panera Bread for granted, you take uh, you take your mental stress for granted. Like, because yeah. I mean, a lot of y'all probably want eco- uh, economic measures, so opportunity costs too weigh into it. The opportunity that you're spending time doing that as opposed to doing something else to be making money. There's so many other things that you have to consider. So the challenge out there for my business owners, specifically my first time entrepreneurs is be crystal clear on what time it takes to create it be crystal clear on that if anything yeah so so the the last two things i want to discuss and then we'll be out of here is and and some of this is really like um for the people but i I do want to talk about it is there a strategy okay now you got the contract you put your pricing out there but now you have to deliver right Mm -hmm. how do you frame expectations the right way because like i like i mentioned before it's easy when you work with a big ground to say, okay, now we got the bag. I need to over deliver. I need to over promise. How do you, from a, from a, from your perspective, measure expectations and make sure you're delivering on something you could truly deliver on? Well, again, you have to be clear about what it is that you can and can't do. So you have to be strong in saying yes and no to certain things. And also know that that again, is not the be all of the end all of the decision. Um, cause I think often, you know, if you do get in front of a big brand and they say, okay, yes, well we need video, but can you also do this, this, and this? 
you know, and you just go, yes, you say yes, and you figure it out later. No, that's, that's not always the best idea. Um, I've done that a couple of times in my life, and it's panned out. It's, I've done all right, but man, I don't think the stress was worth it. <laughs> mm. So being very clear about what it is that you do and what it is that you don't do is so, so important. There's <laughs> the ice cream truck is just full of house. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm here closing the window i'm like shut up <laughs> i'll start that sentence again so being really clear about what it is that you do do and what it is that you don't do the brand are really going to respect this because they love clarity they love knowing where they stand so letting them know exactly where they stand and that's not in just in terms of what what you can deliver it's also when you deliver it how you deliver it. These things are all really important in terms of the actual delivery aspect. So if you say to them, right, yes, we can give you this. It is going to be by this date. If you need something from them, so whether or not it's a brief or whether it's, you know, a a decision or feedback, you've got to be exceptionally clear about when you need that in order to be able to deliver when they expect. So there's almost a point where once you've signed a contract with them, your role changes slightly and you actually become more of a parent. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, you find yourself having to lay down the rules and you've got to be confident in doing so. Because again, if a brand doesn't know where they stand and if we keep moving the goalposts, firstly, it makes you look unprofessional. Secondly, the lack of transparency can be really worrying for a big brand. Thirdly, for you as a human being, the stress is just beyond. It's ridiculous. We don't need that. But if everybody knows where they stand, then we're okay. We can make this work. Um, similarly, if something happens during the delivery process where you can't do what you said you originally could do, then you have to be honest and upfront about that immediately. You have to say, hey, I know I said this. But this is where we are now. This is what's happened. And this is what I'm going to do to remedy it. So it's not a case of just saying, hey, right, well, I can't do that now. Find alternatives. Show them that you're working to make sure that you deliver upon your promise. That is so important. Now, nowadays, when I'm working with a big brand, and it's funny because this sort of ties into the retention thing as well. I do this thing where I do, I I underpromise and I overdeliver. And I do it strategically. So I lay down the rules and I say, this is what you're going to get. And this is when you're going to get it by. And this is how it works, you know, for this amount. That's Mm -hmm. it. But then I will either find a way specifically to come in early. So to deliver early or deliver under budget. Now, there's a strategy that's used by a, a, a discount airline here in the UK and in Europe. Um, The airline is called Ryanair. And they're awful. They're an absolutely terrible airline, (laughs) but they've got got the monopoly on a lot of the routes that business people want to travel between the UK and Europe. So you always find yourself flying with this airline because no other airline flies there. I can't stand them. But one of the things that they do really well Well, I wouldn't even say really well, but one of the things that's interesting about them (laughs) is that they set their flight schedules and then they arrive early. So you're like, whoa, I didn't expect to land until 10 past four and it's quarter to four. This is insane. Well, in actual fact, all they did was expand the time that they told you. So they always intended to arrive at quarter to four, but they told you 10 past four because they want you to be excited when you land because you're like, yes, I'm in early. This is great. And so I took that 
<laughs> I took that strategy and applied it to my animation company. So I'll always, always add on an extra week or 10 days for the delivery. I'll say, look, this can't be delivered until this point. And then that gives me some wiggle room in case something does happen. So we've got that space in terms of delivery time. Um, but also if we deliver early, we look incredible. And that's, that's what's happened. They, you know, the brands that, that I've worked with have always been like, this is outstanding. You always come up early. This is great. Well, no, what I've done is just, I don't know, a few extra days. Mm. <laughs> you know? And it's simple things like that. Again, it's not meant to deceive anybody, but the idea is that, you know, you want to be able to, you need to remember that they're human beings first. And ultimately what they're trying to satisfy are their human needs even in terms of how they're working with you and how they're connected to the brand. So if you can make their lives easier, if you can help them to increase their revenue, if you can help them to, to save them time, if you can help them to look great in front of their consumers, or even better, if you can help them to look great in front of their boss, then you are always going to be the first people they call every time. And by giving them little sort of just little little things that allude to that, you know, again, saving money where you can, if possible. But again, all you, you can kind of you could look at overinflating the budget that might be slightly yeah dodgy. But I, I prefer the, the time overinflating the time thing. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can, if, you know, if you can do something that just helps them to, to be more at ease and feel less stressed. They will come back to you every single time. And that immediately connects with what we were going to talk about next, which was re retention, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, ultimately that's, that's what it's about. It's about that kind of under promising, even though what you're promising is what you will supply. And then that over delivering, because you're going to tack on that bit at the end that says, Hey, remember me, I've got your back. We're going to do this together. Mm. And the last thing I would like to add on that is, um, specifically with that delivering piece is if you can be crystal clear um, once it's delivered or once it's shared and now now you're here is having the mindset that specifically once you have the contract that you control more than you think because right. sometimes yeah. you you the date like there's been times where I promised stuff in dates that I knew I, it was going to be a stretch for me to do but I was, I, I got, I got caught in the bind. I was like, oh, I can do it. And then I spent my whole time stressed, kicking myself, like, and getting mad at the company, getting mad at myself because of this date <laughs> that I created. And then as far as expectations, a lot of times you create the expectations once you have your first initial um, consult about what you can do. So then once mm -hmm. you, like you said, you say you can do that, oh, I can do that as well. Now you're mad because, dang, you may not be as skilled as you could at that. And now you fall short of the expectations that you created. They only asked for a yeah. video. You said you could do social yeah. media marketing too. So now you do, <laughs> they asked for one video. You sold them on social media marketing, content management, all this other stuff. And then now you mad at them because they ask you, okay, what's the status on the social media? And in your head, you're like, yeah. man, you just hired me a video. No, you sat in that meeting and said, hey, I could do this work and sell, but you controlled that. All they wanted was a video by September 24th. You didn't say you were going to get them a video, a, a whole year content marketing strategy plan, also audio, a creation, <laughs> a whole series by August 15th. And now August 10th come around and asking, what's the status? And now you're upset. You control that. So I think we have to realize once you do set, once you do have the conversation about pricing, et cetera, you control the scope. 
So don't put yeah. yourself in a, a, a horrible position and then get mad because I've done it so many times because I, I don't know why, because I've seen numbers that I'd never seen before. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to do stuff that I've never done before. <laughs> it's not the strategy. Oh, listen, uh, Greg, I, I don't think you're in the minority with that. I think most people would, that's the reaction you'll get from everybody generally. The moment you can see the budget, you just go, yes, of course I can. <laughs> you know? It's like... Yo, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, as we close, I think you already, um, you touched it. If there's anything else you want to add to the retention part, as far as from a tactical perspective, because sometimes what I've seen is you deliver well in a project, what you think you've done, the people say you've done a good job, but then some people may not have asked for the retention or may not have a, a, a particular strategy on what does it look like after. And then also too, from a pricing perspective, okay, and we talked about it offline, what does it look like? Say, hey, I went out, I did this, but now they want to do it again. Should I raise my price? Should I do this? So um, if you could just share a couple of things, maybe one to two things on A, is there a specific strategy? Okay, now the project is done. They've they've acted like you've done a good job. Is there certain things I need to say? Or do I need to already be prepared for that retention? What that conversation looks like? Do I need to schedule it beforehand? What does that look like? Yeah, I think follow-up after a job is done is really important. It's really key. Um so making sure that not only from your perspective, but also it shows that you care, you know, about what you've done and you care about the brand and the team that you've done it for. If you can say to them, hey, guys, look, how did it go in the end? I created that video. How was the conference? You know, it was there to open the conference. How did the conference go? You know, and, you know, is there anything that, you know, I, we might have done differently or, you know, that you would like to try next time? You know, just starting to keeping those lines of communication open. Because their feedback is going to be invaluable in terms of you being able to develop your product and service as well. Because they might say, hey, yeah, well, you know what? It was great, but we did two minutes and we probably should have done three minutes. So, you know, next time, maybe we should do three minutes. Now, off of the back of that, they might not hire you again. We don't know that. But another come a similar organization might. And therefore, you can say to them, when we did this before... You know, this is what it looked like, but actually we needed to do this. So you can just put that information out there. So to get the feedback, it, being able to get feedback is super, super important. Um, just to understand how you've done and what you might do differently next time. Um, and to show it, like I said, that you care. Um, I think that in terms of then turning that into a retention strategy, you have to be quite forward thinking about what that brand is doing um, and how, mm. again, you're going to fit into it. So you may have created a video for the conference. So as an example, I worked for a smaller organization um, creating conference videos. Um, so we created this. And, and it was interesting because at that conference, there was the brands there were absolutely humongous. There was Pepsi there and there was uh, Google were there and Facebook were there. And all these, these huge kind of brands were at this conference that we created the video for. And afterwards, you know, I sort of looked at their website again. I had some feedback about the conference. They were like, yeah, everyone loved it. Everybody thought it was great. And I looked at the website and I said, you know what you could do with this video content? We could break it up and we could create some standalone videos across your website to be able to explain some of these key, you know, ideas that you've got and some of these key strategies to anybody looking in. Because actually doing that might mean that we'll increase the football for conference next year. But if we start, we need to start now. And they went with that. So I ended up turning that one video into making a series of 12 videos for them mm. in order to be able to help them build their list and build and, and, and you know, um, 
uh, push their marketing strategy for the following year's conference. So, and I had no intention of doing that in the beginning, but it was just about what can we do now to be able to continue to add value, to continue to be useful down the line. Um, and I think that's what it's about. I think it's it's less about saying, hey, we want to retain these clients because we need the money. Um, we've got to get this money in every month. And it's more about, hey, how can we actually add value to them? How can we help them to deliver upon their promise, upon their brand promise continually? Because the moment you figure that out is the moment they're just going to keep paying you. Even mm. if you say to them, hey, stop. <laughs> like I had a brand that I had to stop working. I had to stop working with because to be honest with you, we weren't very aligned. I thought we were. We worked together well in the beginning. They had a change of management. The new management and me didn't really see eye to eye on what we were doing. So I thought, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to need to stop with this. But they kept coming back and saying, okay, if you won't do this, will you do that? And if you won't do this, will you just do this bit? And, we, and it was like, yo, I, wow. I can't, I'm not going to take your money because, you know, what I'm trying to do here, it doesn't fit with what it is that you need. But it's a great position to be in with people saying, hey, take my money. But that's not what, for your own soul and your own sanity. That's not where you want to be. Mm. So think about how you can add value and how you can help that brand to be even better. Because if you give them ideas, they're going to run with them. They like ideas. Big brands love ideas. So don't be afraid to give them ideas. And to be honest, those of you who are a little bit scared about giving ideas because the big brand might run off with them and do them themselves, that might happen anyway. You have no idea whether or not that's going to happen. It's worth just putting the ideas out there and just letting them float away rather than being scared and withholding everything and that brand not realizing just how capable you are. Yeah. I, and I can say that too. It's a sli it's dangerous because I've been in that conversation. I, I've been in that before. Um and it was uh I did at one point I thought they about to run off with the idea. But at the end of the day, here's what happened. A week before they need to do it, guess who got a call and guess who got the rate that yeah. they wanted? Because at the end of the day, a lot of especially unless your idea is groundbreaking and changing, a lot of times they don't have the time or the bandwidth to do it, even if they wanted to. Yeah. Even if they no. wanted to, if it's a new idea outside the scope they've ever done or whatever, that means because you got to realize, like she said, there's like, you know how many positions there are, these major companies, and you know how many emails has to touch, how many submissions and blah, 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 these have to, to get a building space, to hire people, to do all this other stuff. So a lot of times out of 10, it's going to take more energy for somebody else to do your idea than it is for you just to hire you and pay you. So. Let's, exactly. let's, 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 and I never thought about that because I was like, oh man, they're going to take it. Like, who going to take it? It's going to cost them uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in time to do an idea that probably cost 30 grand. Like, <laughs> to be mm -hmm. real, and it doesn't make any sense. So, we're wrapped up on that, man. Uh, the last thing I wanted to share before, before we go is to land a brand. How can people find more information about it? Um, and I got a couple of situations I want to throw at you rapid fire. So matter of fact, let me do the rapid uh -oh. fire real quick. And then we're uh -oh. going to do the tie in. <laughs> it's just a couple of things, right? I got three questions. That's it on the rapid fire. And then we're going to jump right into where they can find more information about the course, find you and all that good stuff. All right. Awesome. Okay. So the only three questions I have for this, uh, this, this, uh, different version of, um, it's like a business rapid fire is too. So if you're a small business starting up right now, knowing what you know today, would your first clients that you shoot for be friends and family, people, you know, or, um, or would you start to shoot for once you have your strategy down pack and you have confidence that you can implement it, uh, shooting for companies first. Cause I know a lot of small businesses, um, when you first start, 
you're trying to go for consumers, either your friends and family or people that are that you can um, this this closer to you. Like it's, it's more B to B or B to C. Yeah. But yeah. you have opportunities to really do B to B. So what would you start for knowing what you know today? That would depend on how you feel about your own business. Now, straight off the bat, I would go straight for companies. There is absolutely no reason why you can't take your product or service, ensure you've gone through the right alignment process, got the amount of knowledge that you need, and you know how to communicate with that big brand, and you go straight for it. Now, friends and family are great because they're close to you and they'll give you, you know, you can try things out and know that it's not the end of the world if it doesn't quite work. So if you've not quite developed your product or service in full yet and you just want to test it, then friends and family are great. Though even in saying that, friends and family don't tend to tell you the truth. (laughs) They tend to tell you what you (laughs) want to hear. So sometimes going all in and maybe going straight to a big brand and saying, hey, yo, this is it. That's the baptism of fire that you need to get started. So I will always go in at the top end. I would always go in for the highest, the the, the biggest possible client that I could find. And the only thing that stops us from doing that again is the fear. It's ourselves. There's nothing, you know, within your business, within your strategy, if you know your stuff, you know, and you know that brand, there is no reason why you shouldn't be connected. But fear holds us back. And so we play small in the hope that somehow this is going to help us to build our confidence and slowly but surely. In actual fact, we don't need to. We just need to bite the bullet and go straight in at the top. Love that. That's that's great, great advice. Um, second, for our creative entrepreneurs out there. So if you're a creative entrepreneur like yourself and you are a, say if you own a dance studio, right? You own a dance studio, you teach young children to dance, et cetera. Um, but you're thinking like, man, because you know, uh, it's tough running dance studios with children and stuff like that as far as to make it can be tough. Not say it's tough. It can be tough to, to generate revenue, et cetera. You're thinking, man, what, what will my service look like in a bigger brand? How could I, as a creative entrepreneur, um, work with different brands? Is there any ideas or any, what would you do as far as to see, Hey, what kind of fit I would have with it? And where would you go to kind of find out, um, if that could, if you can even make that happen? So you, again, you first need to understand yourself know who you are, know what you do and know why you're doing it. There's a lot of people here in the UK that open up things like dance studios because they believe they come from maybe a dance background and they believe by having a studio, all of a sudden it'll give them this gravitas and they'll be recognized in the industry because they're a studio owner. And what they actually turn into is a very frazzled business owner with very little revenue and very little income because they hadn't thought beyond trying to score those points. Mm. They had no specific why. You know, their reason for opening the studio was because I want to help dancers to be better dancers. And it's like, well, okay, great. But beyond that, you know, why are you here? Why, why are you laying your roots? Why, are your, why do your foundations sit here? And until you know that, you can't connect with a big brand. Because one of the things a big brand is going to ask you about is your story. They're going to want to know why. If you don't have a story, if you don't have a reason, then give it up you know, that's not, it's not going to happen. It's not just about the product and service you have. It's about you and it's about your story. So once you have a story and you, or you've thought about your story and everybody has a story, it's very easy for people to say, I don't have a story. I just opened a studio and that was it. No, there's a story behind it. There's a story behind everything. You've just got to sit and think about it for a little while and dig a little bit deeper, maybe to understand the emotions and the experiences that you've had that have led you to this point. 
And once you have that, you can then go to brands that fit with that story, because you'll find that some brands have similar stories to you. Now, of course, the scale is going to be completely different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's going to be massively different. If you're a one man or one woman band versus, you know, 10,000 employees at this brand, it's, it, it's, you know, we're talking completely different pictures here, but the underlying why, the reason, the story, it's going to be the same. You're going to find some where you think, hey, I'm driving towards the same purpose. Now, just quickly to, to illustrate that, when I started dancing with Nike, um, I was a plus size dancer. And one of the things, and that was my story, but I had no idea how that would ever fit in with a sports brand because, of course, all athletes are tiny and, you know, super muscular and fit and slim. And so I had no idea how my story was even applicable. But when I eventually spoke to Nike a few years later, I was telling the same story because and, and I would tell the story and say, I'm telling you this story, but I don't know how it's relevant. Down the line, you know, a couple of years later, Nike explained, you, you know, we have we're launching a plus size range for female athletes. And, you know, a lot of what you've told us and the things that you've spoken about have helped us to be able to shape that. So actually, you know, or, or shape our communication of that. So actually, even when you believe, you know, you don't think your story is important, as long as you stay true to it, you're going to find a point, a place where it's relevant. And that brand, if you can find the right brand to align with, then you're going to complement each other's stories. And that is so, so important. So in order to be able to connect with and build relationships with brands, you've got to remember that they are human beings first. They look like, you know, monstrous you know, corporate companies, and they are monstrous corporate machines, but they're run by human beings. And human beings love a story. And if you've got a story to tell them, you're going to engage them, you're going to connect with them. And it doesn't matter how big or how small you are, you can build a really strong and solid relationship with them mm. moving forward. Mm, love that. And the last question. So say, for instance, now, you have a you have a company, you're planning this event and you're looking for sponsorship, right? And I know we already hit on a lot of things already during the show, but you're in this situation, you look for a sponsorship, you have two months out. Uh what what what's the first thing you do? Don't start looking for sponsorship two months out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing you do. You need to start way before then. Um <clears throat> again, you're looking for brands that are gonna align from an audience perspective. So the people that turn up to your event have to have some kind of connection with that brand or that brand needs to want to be able to communicate with that audience. Because ultimately, the brand is going, is going to sponsor your event because they want to be able to get to your market. They need to find a way to communicate with them. Um, there's There are sort of two, two paths to this, two prongs to this, because you've got the typical and traditional event sponsorship whereby you might get a luxury brand or just a brand who puts their name on everything that you have. And of course, you mention them during the event and everybody who goes there knows that they're there and they all get a t-shirt and a goodie bag or whatever else. But there's a flip side to it. And that is the corporate social responsibility aspect of the brand, the CSR. And the CSR department are a department that are set up with people with a budget who are there to find causes and, and sort of charitable uh, um, events or, or programs that they know their audience care about and that if they get connected with them, they know that their audience will care about them even further. So it changes the perception of the brand in their existing audience. Mm. 
So again, two things. You're either looking for a new audience, so therefore you slap your brand logo on everything, or your audience are already sitting there and watching you. So you want to show them how charitable and how giving and how supportive you are. So you go and sponsor an event or sponsor a program to show them how much good you can do. So if you are a small community project or, you know, you've got a charitable event happening, then big brands are still very interested in being a part of this if you can get to their corporate social responsibility department and talk to them about it. So it's important to, to kind of know the difference. If it's a commercial thing where, you know, the big brand just totally wants to sell to your market, um, then, you know, as you see with major sort of sports games and, and that sort of thing where the big brands, you know, the advertisement they pay for during the Super Bowl, all that sort of thing, that is just down straight down the line, you know, commercial, make some money. Here we are. Our, our audience is your audience is, is, should be paying attention to us you know there's that aspect of it if you're going to do that then like I said you're going to need a lot more than two months to be able to bring them around and to be able to set that up that really does take quite a while but if your event has some it's it's more of about doing good and it's more community focused um you're working with young people or you know you're working with people with disabilities or you know you're working in health and all of the kind of social um you know or political you know ideas that it, it, within the, the the community within the environment whatever then go to the csr because they move a lot more quickly their department is a lot more is much smaller they still have budgets to be able to spend even though they're not quite as big as the commercial budgets and if you've only got two months and you're you, there is a point there is something you're doing within your event that's doing good for someone definitely go down the CSR route rather than trying to get a commercial sponsor on board because that is a, you know that's a big process that's at least four to six months if not more um, mm. that you want for a commercial sponsor CSR I've seen that turn around in three days mm. wow wow so, wow yeah they get it just it totally depends on what what it is that you're trying to do man well like I said man you've you've given us well, way over an hour of your time, man, giving us a lot of gems to break through. And I definitely think it, it is, it's probably refreshing because I ain't really been on my business tip for a while on the pod. It's been it's been a couple couple episodes, man. So I'm I'm glad to get back on the business bully, telling a lot of things that specifically for our small business owners, our entrepreneurs, and also too, they can touch a lot of people as they kind of tackle things that um and play big, playing big. You got to play big in this thing. Yes, sir. So Minority Trailblazing Nation, make sure, make sure, make sure you go check it out, man, for my entrepreneurs, for, my, for, for, for everybody in every industry. When you're trying to land brands, when you're trying to land big contracts and land big deals, this is the first place you need to go. All the information will be in the show, show notes. And it's simple. Land the brand dot com all right so minority troublers nation as always one i need you to share this show share this episode because you i know you know an entrepreneur out there you know somebody out there that's struggling or somebody that's thriving you say yo they need a bigger platform they need more sponsors they need more contracts or you yourself are struggling share the episode and number two as always make sure you changing the freaking culture good night